Welcome, welcome everyone to the Mindful Conversations Matter podcast. If you don't already know who we are, my name is Tina Onkasawan, the moderator of the podcast and a language acquisition teacher on special assignment for the Valverde Unified School District. Also with us is the hostess with the mostest, Adriana Vasquez, coordinator of language assessment and the language acquisition team here at Valverde Unified School District. The purpose of this podcast is to create a safe space to reflect in open and brave conversations, a space to listen to multiple perspectives about a variety of topics that we are faced with on a daily basis. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Mindful Conversations Matter podcast. We are so excited for our guest today, a wonderful friend and co-worker. Adriana, would you like to introduce him? Yes. Thank you so much, Mr. Greg McCorder, for being here with us. Actually, it is Dr. Greg McCorder. Uh, We really appreciate you being here with us today, and we are so, so excited to learn a little bit more about you, all the wisdom that you have to share with us. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks. Great to be here. All right. Well, let's start how we always start. Let's start by asking you, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good, pretty optimistic. I got some cool things coming up this week. I'm doing some traveling. Um, I'm heading to Mexico this week and then uh, over the summer. Uh, my wife, which is confusing because she's also Dr. McCorder, <laughs> we're heading to Colombia, South America to meet my family down there for the first time. I mean, I've, I haven't seen them in like 40 years and she's never met them, but I have like tias, primos and all that down there. So we're going to go meet them. And then um, I've got another trip planned to England. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm optimistic. Lots to look forward to. My goodness. (laughs) Yes. What part of Mexico are you going to? Mexico City. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'll be there with John Carippo for for a whole week. Oh, that's so, are you guys doing some edge protocols? protocols. Yeah. In Mexico City. Yes, with 15 superintendents from um, across Mexico. And we're actually going to go to some, we're going to at least one school in Mexico to see how they do their education, which will be interesting. Oh, that is phenomenal. Yeah. You know, that's my hometown. So that's oh, beautiful. Is? Yeah, that's oh, where I, I was born. That. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That is exciting. Yeah. And I have to share with you, I uh, did a couple of webinars and actually the the people, uh, the, the, the hosts were from Mexico City and even just the way they talked mm. and it was just like, oh, they're just, it <laughs> sounds so professional and the Spanish is so like, High yes. end. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. We're, the fun thing is we're going to do a taco tour of Mexico City, too. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. Why were we up Calabesa, <laughs> Lengua. How, how do we get into this That's little tour? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. very, very cool. And I have to share with you, I'm just always so touched by how proud you are of your uh, South American roots, like Colombian roots. You're just such a proud latino you know um i know because my last name and my looks a lot of people don't think i'm latino but um it's it's funny because i actually feel like um and i try to explain this to people sometimes in a way i'm caught in the middle because i'm i feel like and i'm getting a little ahead of myself here but i feel like i've never been completely accepted by my anglo friends Mm. they think i'm a little too latino Mm -hmm. And I'm never completely accepted with my Latino friends because, you know, I look and sometimes act too Anglo. So it's kind of like I've always kind of been in the middle and never really found my place kind of in it. And so I, I'm proud to be Latino and I'm proud of the hardships I faced with my mother growing up, helping her translate. You know, we lived on food stamps. We slept in our car sometimes. She always made me sure I went to school, though, and always, you know, kept pushing education with me. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of that, that I had that hard background because it gave me a different perspective. And, um, and I think in, again, getting ahead of myself, but I think sometimes I don't have some of the entitlement Mm -hmm. that my Anglo friends have, but then in some ways I'm, I think a little bit different than some of my Latino friends too. So like I said, I I never quite fit, but Mm -hmm. I am proud of both my, you know, my Anglo heritage and my Latino heritage. That's, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I think a, a lot of us, I, I, well, a lot of students, a lot of my kids, I can say there, there's this saying, ni de aquí, ni de allá, not from yeah. here, not from there. You're just like in the middle. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that through all of this 
uh, cultural responsive uh, movement that we have going on is that that's what we're trying to achieve, that students actually find their place, find their identity, whether it's here or there or a mixture of both. And it's we just need to find that space for all of us to really feel like we belong somewhere, right? Yeah, my wife will tell you my, she thinks my people are in Scotland because when we went to visit Scotland, <laughs> all the people there have a very dry <laughs> sense of humor and they're very stoic <laughs> and a little kind of almost angry looking. And she goes, oh my God, these are your people. <laughs> so who knows? Oh my gosh, you two are too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't find her people. I'm like, your people are on Neptune. <laughs> Oh my god! And she's such a happy-go-lucky. She is, and so her people are uh, here (laughs) in in Building Seven Hundred. That's where her people are, probably. (laughs) All right. Well, I know you've already shared some some wonderful elements of your identity, but if you can just go deeper, just tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, who you identify with, and just feel free to go here professional and broader. Like who, what defines Greg, Dr. Greg McCorder? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if you want my background, um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was actually born in Hollywood. It's interesting because my birth certificate actually says that Hollywood, you know, not, not Los Angeles, but, um, my mom came from, um, well, she came from Columbia, South America in the uh, early sixties. And she really came here with the idea of, you know, finding the American dream, um, she was kind of old school, though. She was the old school Latina where she was looking forward to um, meeting, you know, a, a rich Anglo-American guy to marry and have kids with. And and um, I think she was looking for something different than a lot of the Latinas that came after her, you know, that wanted to bring more of their culture with them. She really wanted to assimilate more into the American culture. Um, so to her, it was very important that she tried to um, always push me to um, also be very Anglo in some ways, which was kind of weird because uh, when I was growing up, um, it was just, it was a a very interesting mix because, uh, like I said, we were in poverty. So my mom and dad ended up getting divorced when I was about seven years old. It was a bad divorce. It lasted from when I was seven to nine and uh, had nothing to do with me or anything. And I know that, but it was really hard on all of us. And um, so my mom uh, ended up raising me, and she was very broke. And so we were on food stamps, and like I said, sometimes had to sleep in our car because we had no place to sleep. But my mom always wanted me to be, she thought it would be good if I was hanging out with the rich Anglo kids. So she always made sure that I was in very affluent schools, very affluent areas, but yet we were like sleeping on somebody's floor, renting a room somewhere Mm. with no furniture or anything. So we were in Mission Viejo, and that's where I did a lot of my growing up was in Mission Viejo, Lake Forest, El Toro. And she would rent a room from, like, you know, a family. And seriously, we were just, like, living in a room with nothing but our clothes and, like, sleeping bags. And yet I was going to these schools with very affluent kids. And, you know, sometimes I couldn't even get my clothes washed for a week sometimes. And these kids, they picked up on that. They knew that I was not like them. You know, I didn't have the latest clothes. I wasn't always clean. So um, I kept trying to explain to my mom in my own way, Mom, I know you want me to fit in with these kids, but I don't. I don't have their resources. I don't have their background. And it was very hard for her to understand that. And one of the things that I look back on from my middle school years, that was really kind of, you know, I never thought about until I got into education, but I always wanted to make sure that what happened to me never happens to a kid nowadays. And luckily in our district, I don't believe it ever would. But um, I went this one school I went to in uh, Lake Forest. It was very, very high-end school. And I remember going to the lunch line, and I got to the end of the line. And the lady goes, okay, where's your lunch money? And I said, um, I'm on the free and reduced program. I don't pay lunch. She goes, she was in disbelief. Oh, no, everybody pays for lunch. We don't have any kids that don't pay for lunch. You have to pay like everyone else. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm on the free program. And she had to call the head lunch lady over, and the head lunch oh lady gosh. came over, stopped the whole line. All the kids are listening. No kids could get their lunch. Head lunch lady comes over, and she's like, oh, yeah, we have one kid. He's the only kid in the, in oh the school that gosh. gets free lunch. And all the kids found out that day that I'm the one kid that gets a free lunch. Mm. And they all found out why, because, you know, we can't afford lunch. So it was really hard, and, um, and that school... Um, I had really poor attendance all through middle school and high school. I went to like four different middle schools, I think four or five different high schools, because um, the more my mom tried to get me to fit in, the more it was becoming hard for me. And Mm -hmm. I tended to 
uh, gravitate more towards my Latino friends, especially in high school, because, you know, they seem more authentic, more real, and they didn't care if I had money or not. Um, so so it, was, it was different. So I ended up not really liking education. I didn't like teachers. I didn't like school. Um, and, you know, I know your first question on your list here is, who was your favorite teacher growing up? And that's been a hard one for me because, you know, teachers always talk about, oh, my favorite teacher was so-and-so, got me into wanting to be a teacher, blah, blah, blah. I got to say, I did not like my teachers. I used to fight with them. I used to make them cry. They used to suspend me. I used to get in a lot of trouble because I just never found a teacher I could, you know, that understood my needs. Mm. And um, I would say the only teacher that I really ever I liked that made me think, okay, maybe I could be a teacher was in my 11th grade year. I had a, an English teacher, Mr. Nolan. I'm still friends with him on Facebook, actually. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I believe he's retired now, though. But he, uh, he went to UC Berkeley and he was kind of a wild guy and um i was in the uh, i always tested well so i was always in the gate classes even though i was like the poor weirdo kid and they <laughs> hated me well they hated me being in the gate classes because it tended to be the more affluent kids and mm-hmm. i was the one that they were always i was bringing down the grades because i wouldn't come to school all week and i'd get like straight f's and all the homework and then i'd come on fridays to take the test because i knew the tests were on fridays and i'd get an a on the test so I was always throwing off the averages because they're like, this kid has an F, he passed the test, gets an A, he manages to pass the class with a D all the time, D, mm. you know, whatever, C minus. And um, so I was doing that for years. But Mr. Nolan was the first teacher that was just really cool with me, really down to earth. Uh, he was teaching me um, language arts, English, and he would bring in a lot of interesting writing that would challenge me a lot. You know, that's where I first learned a lot about um, Zen Buddhism. He would bring quotes in. Like, I remember one time I put a quote on the board, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And he actually had us in the 11th grade doing a write-up on that. What does that mean? And I remember it didn't matter what it meant, but I loved the discussion, the mm. thought behind it. And he would challenge me mentally. And, you know, I remember he would introduce us to just different things in culture, like at that time, he would bring in things like documentaries and have us you know, write up kind of like reviews almost to kind of stimulate our writing and our mm-hmm. think thought process. So one time he brought in, I don't know if you know that old 60s band, The Doors, but he mm. brought in a documentary of The Doors, and we watched this in class. And I was just wow. like, wow, this is so cool because I was so into music. <laughs> and then he says, okay, now we've got to write about it. And I didn't mind. The other kids are like, you just made us watch like this big music documentary. What's this for? And I was like... Uh, and then I was, it was funny because I was the one that was producing everything. And now the other kids who were normally the producers, they were like shutting down because they didn't know what to do. But mm-hmm. I was like thriving in this environment. So, um, and then he and I, I, I could tell you more stories about him and some of them I probably shouldn't tell here. But, <laughs> uh, but Mr. Nolan was a cool guy and, and we clicked. So he was the first one that made me think, okay, teachers can be human because I had a lot of teachers that I always felt were kind of holier than thou mm. or would not make just not made me feel comfortable or welcome and he was the first teacher i had in the 11th grade where i finally felt like oh okay i guess some some teachers are cool talk about the wow. 11th hour right, right. Of your educational <laughs> career yeah. yeah um wow, wow. yes and and it's no i think it's no coincidence that you were an english teacher right that you that you you probably your subconscious also followed that that uh pattern do you feel that way uh, you know, what's funny is I always, even before I met him, I was always an avid reader. I mean, the one thing that's always saved me was my reading. And um, I think it's the one thing that, the one thing in my life I think that's helped me over and over again was my ability to read and my ability to write. And they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you are a good reader, the writing mm-hmm. will follow. And a lot of people don't realize that. And it's not rocket science. And I always like get tripped up by teachers who don't realize that. Let your kids read. So, um to go back a little bit about my history, um, like I said, I was not a good school student. I was not a straight A student at all. Um, I actually got into comic books, and um, my mom, I was, I got into comic books to wheel and deal to make money because I was so poor. I was like, hey, I found out these things are worth money. I'm going to start buying them at swap meets, like boxes for a couple bucks, and flip them for five, ten, whatever. And um, they would be there next to my bed, and at night I started reading them. Oh, what is this Spider-Man about? What's this Batman about? You know, and um, I fell in love with them, and I would just read like comic books all the time. And eventually, in middle school, I remember starting to get the paperbacks, and like you know, I met like a group of kind of like what would be called like the nerd kids, and we would talk about like, hey, what's science fiction paperback? You read what fantasy paperback? And I would get into all that. And um, 
So I was such a voracious reader at a young age that um, it helped develop my vocabulary, helped develop my writing and everything else. I wasn't aware of it. It's just I enjoyed it. It was my outlet, my escape. And um, at that time, TV wasn't that cool. You know, we had like, I don't know, six channels or, or 10 channels. It wasn't like now where you have a thousand <laughs> channels. But um, so reading was just so much fun. And I got so into it that it helped me so that when I did need a career, um, I, I started having kids at a young age, married at a young age. And um, I ended up being a truck driver before I became a school teacher. I was a Teamster truck driver with Roadway, and I used to um, actually make deliveries. And I think one time I actually made a delivery here to the Valverde mm. School District mm. of school mm. books before I even thought of working here. And um, I didn't want to be a truck driver. It was not my thing. I remember being in the break room um, when I was trying to get my uh, teaching credential, and I was reading you know, one of my textbooks or something. A, guy, a grown man who was like in his 50s came up to me and said, what are you reading for? Reading's dumb. Reading's for idiots you shouldn't be reading I'm like, wow i need to get out of this environment because i couldn't understand that you know my dad liked to read i read um so anyway when i went to get when i was finishing up with my bachelor's and i decided okay what am i going to do am i going to become i had a little bit of uh, law enforcement background so i could have become a cop or a teacher and um, I'd actually, I've actually made over 350 citizens arrests in my life and I've actually gone to court on like offenders and stuff like that. Um, put some three strikers away back in, in the day. Watch wow. out, girl. And, uh, <laughs> I learn something new every yeah, day. <laughs> so I had, I had like a long, uh, a strong law enforcement background too. And I could have gone either way. And um, I remember asking uh, my wife at the time, she's now my ex-wife, but um, I asked her, what do you think I should become? Should I become a cop or a teacher? And she said the smartest thing. She goes, well, you should become a teacher because you won't get shot at and you'll have summers off. <laughs> and I was like, summers off. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't, cause I wanted, cause I was so poor. I worked all the time. I never had time off. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that's time off with my family. Mm -hmm. We can go camping. I could take my kids places. So it wasn't just, you know, me being home lazy. I wanted, I was, I want that time off to spend with family. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, that's really good. I think I'll, I'll try that. I'll, I'll see if what this teacher stuff's about. So I went, and, and the first day in my teacher credential, I'll never forget it, very first day, they said, okay, we're going to do a little poll here. There was about 40 wannabe teachers all in this class. And they said, how many of you want to be social studies teachers? Every hand went up, including mine, except for like maybe three or four people. Then they said, okay, how many want to be math teachers? Like one hand went up. How many want to be science? One hand went up. How many want to be language arts? One hand went up. And they said, okay, you see that? Every time we do it, it's the same. All you guys love history. All you guys want to be social studies. But what do you hear the need is in? And this was back in the late 90s. They were saying, well, the need's in math and science, which it still is. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you guys, do you guys want to work? Because if you guys want to work, there's not that many social studies openings. So is there something else you can do? And, and I like to read and write. So when they called it again, they said, okay, how many of you think you can be language arts? I put my hand up. So okay, I'll do language arts. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got <laughs> into it. So it had, uh, it wasn't, Ever. It wasn't like, oh, I'm inspired by my no, teacher. No, I'm sorry to say. No, <laughs> and that's good. That's it was good. more practicality yeah. and wanting a job and being practical. I'm a very practical person. And mm -hmm. um, so it was like I wanted a job, and I was like, okay, I, I have that talent. I can do that, I guess. Mm -hmm. So um, I got my teaching credential, and like I said, I was a truck driver at the time, and I took a sabbatical from truck driving just so I could start a job at Valverde. Like I didn't tell them that I was starting a job. I just said, oh, I need some time off. And I got hired at Valverde January of 2003 and um, took over for a very popular teacher at Tomas Rivera Middle School. And um, I finished out the year. And I remember telling my wife at the time, if they say I'm coming back, I'm going to quit my truck driving job, you know, but I'll hang on to it just in case. And um, at that time, the principal said, yes, we're bringing you back. You know, and I said, okay. So I went back to the truck driving job for one day, worked, worked, the job one more night just to kind of say goodbye to everyone that morning went to the office gave my resignation they couldn't believe it said people don't leave truck driving jobs it pays so well mm. people like this mm -hmm. i'm like it's not for me mm -hmm. i'm i enjoy <laughs> being a teacher more um and i found that um i was i did really well with the kids too so when i first started teaching everyone was telling me oh isn't it hard working with kids aren't they terrible and blah 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 and i said after spending you know half a year working with the kids I was like, no, they're like, they're nothing. You know, I've worked with Teamsters who are always trying to tear me down and break me down. These kids, whatever they say, just 
rolls right off my back. Mm. It's like nothing. And um, I think in some ways that my background, especially working with guys like that and teamsters like that, it was good for me because when I became a teacher, there was nothing the kids could say that would upset me. I'd just mm. be like, what else you got? You done? Oh, yeah. Can we yeah. get back to teaching now? Can we back to learning? Okay, good. You <laughs> and know? then realizing that they're young and they're, yeah. they, you know, a lot of the times they're not thinking about what they're saying. They're just, their mouths are just saying things, right? You probably came in with that kind of understanding and well, passion. It, and it's funny you say that because you're absolutely right. And sometimes the kids just want to see if they can get a rise out of you. Mm -hmm. So when I first started teaching, they would walk by my class and go, hey, Drew Carey. Because <laughs> I don't know if you remember the Drew Carey yes. show. It was popular at the time. They go, hey, Drew. <laughs> hey, Drew Carey. And I just be laugh at them, whatever. No big deal. And then later on, they, you know, uh, they it changed to Family Guy. Hey, Family Guy. Hey, Peter. <laughs> and I'd be like, whatever, because I just happen to look like those guys. But I remember, um, but there was another teacher who looked a lot like, I won't say his name, because he, he probably wouldn't appreciate it, but <laughs> he's still in the district. But he looked a lot like um, the Where's Waldo character. Mm. <laughs> and the kids would call him Waldo. Hey, Waldo, <laughs> did you find yourself? And, that kind of stuff. and he would get so angry at the kids and they knew it they could they see we pressing mm -hmm. his button and luckily he got smart about it and he actually for halloween one year dressed up as waldo and then that <laughs> killed it after that the kids never called him that anymore because he owned it yeah you know? that's what <laughs> i tell my daughter she's one of them is she just you can see that she gets so mad i'm like girl you're giving people power like just exactly. pretend like it doesn't bother you and then people will not keep on bugging you that way you know and you know what getting back to my dad so i had i had an okay relationship with my dad my parents were tough in a lot of ways but my dad the the one thing you know sometimes people learn a lot from their mom or learn a lot from my or their dad the only thing i i really remember learning from my dad that i didn't understand until i was older was my dad used to tell me Greg, only you can allow people to make you upset. Mm -hmm. You have the power whether or not to be upset. Exactly. Or like you said, you can give them the power. And once I understood that, that was a big part of my philosophy with, with teaching with kids mm -hmm. and dealing with them. So yes. yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and, and the minute people notice what bothers you, what, what like, you know, pushes mm -hmm. your buttons, a lot of the time that's the way... They hold your power. You know, they hold power over you is, is better um, the, the, said. The sad thing for me is, though, is I, anything that I'm a social justice warrior, so anything that I see as unfair, unrealistic, against normal uh, ways of thing, how things should be done, that's where I, I get, I kind of lose it. And yeah. When it. Yeah. And that's, and I know I shouldn't, I should be more political. I'm not political. I say it like I see it. If I see, um, like nepotism, cronyism, that kind of stuff going on. I usually call it out. I'm trying not to do that so much anymore. But anything that's unfair, mm -hmm. um, an unfair treatment, just that really always ticks me off. Yeah, yeah. And and I personally, I, I see that up mm -hmm. from you. And, and there is a level of appreciation that you say things the way that are supposed to be said a lot of the times a, a, many of us <laughs> wish we could say some things right but yeah. we just don't and um there's always that one person that's going to speak up and say hey how are we thinking about this <laughs> you know have you thought about how this looks or yeah. or whatever the case may be but um going back to to successful greg like you do so much you do so so much tell us a little bit about like your your doctoral program okay. and how that came about and then you're you're an author tell us like about uh, your successes well we're we're all our own worst critics and i think that's what spurs me on a lot to do things is i'm always very critical of myself i mean there is a part of me that where i can be very lazy too but then when I'm um, engaged in something I'm interested in, then it's like, okay, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. So like when I got into um, serious about writing, I'm like, if I'm going to get serious about writing, I'm going to publish a few books. And I did. I got two books published, but they're fiction, not, you know, uh, educational. But I've done educational writing, too, that's been published. But um, same thing with anything I've done in my life. I've, you know, produced records and I've... Uh, produce concerts and different things and i always just say if i'm going to do something invest my time and energy into it i am going to finish it i am not going to get into something and then just quit and say oh it's too hard or i don't have time or the money or whatever I'm, and I, I plan it out carefully ahead of time so even with my doctorate um 
what happened was is so my ex-wife and I we were kind of raising each other and we kind of said at one point and this is before I got my teaching credential and all that we said hey let's get our educations you know we need to for our kids sake you know we need to make more money so we can take care of them and neither one of us had anything but a high school education um, I had some credits into my bachelor's but I wasn't finished so we agreed and she goes well why don't you go first because you already like halfway done your bachelor's you get your bachelor's and we'll figure out what to do so I got my bachelor's my and my teaching credential as soon as I got my teaching job I sent her back to school she got her bachelor's then I got my master's then she got her master's or no it was the other way around I think I my oh yeah she went got her bachelor's I got my master's then she got her master's something like that and then anyway we were going to get doctorates next and um, she decided she wanted a doctorate me I wasn't sure but she got her doctorate, and the, the plan was that maybe someday I would get my doctorate. Well, once I got divorced and I was already in the profession teaching, um, I thought to myself, what's keeping me from getting a doctorate? I need to do something different for myself. Mm-hmm. And I actually like school. I like education now. Um, I didn't like it as a kid, but I like it as an adult and you know, learning new things. I do believe in being a lifelong learner. That's another thing that always surprises me is we always talk about how students should be lifelong learners. But... I feel like teachers need to embrace that ideology as well. And mm-hmm. not all teachers do. They're like, right. you know, and, I, and I, I embrace that. I want to be a lifelong learner. I always want to learn new things about culture, history, whatever, the world. So I thought, I'm going to go get my doctorate. Why not? And um, But, again, I'm so practical. I, I went into it with the idea that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to finish it. I'm not going to let it sit there. Mm-hmm. And because um, there's too many people that are called ABD, all but, the dissertation they don't finish <laughs> yes, yes a lot of people yes. that try to say or i've I actually met some people that try to say oh yeah I, I, i'm a doctor too oh did you finish your doctorate well i'm abd mm. well if you're abd you're not a doctor you're not a doctor until you finish mm-hmm. so um i started getting my doctorate and i was working on it uh, while working at the district and also while dating which was probably not the smartest thing <laughs> because you know different people i was dating wanted different demands of me and uh, one of them was just killing me with her demands. Um, <laughs> and then um, at the end of my doctorate, basically like the last year of it, um, you know, I met Dr. McCorder, Dr. Jennifer McCorder. And, um, and I am proud to say she did not help me with my doctorate. You know, not too many people have asked, but I think they always assume because she had hers, maybe she helped me. Not at all. You're like, for the you record. Know, mm-hmm. No, seriously, for the record, she did not help me. I think that I asked her one question about the whole time there was one fine point I couldn't understand and even she tried to help me with it and even couldn't help me I had to figure it out myself finally but um getting my doctorate was all me and um because she had completed hers like 10 years earlier and was just like been there done that over with Mm -hmm. so um but yeah I just I've always had that tenacity to follow through with things so and my doctorate for me was um my doctorate okay so this is interesting my doctorate i actually wanted to combine what i'm doing at work so mm-hmm. as an ed tech tosa because uh, that's what i do in the district and as an ed tech tosa i'm trying to um, help people help teachers specifically integrate technology into their teaching but my heart's always been you know with our latino population too so um i did my dissertation on um how our sending our Chromebooks, we you know we went complete one-to-one Chromebooks with all of our students, and what kind of impact that was having on Latino students and in their houses because we also had the idea, and it was Matt Penner, our IT director, and Mike McCormick, our superintendent, who both came out and said, "Hey, if we're going to send these home with the kids, let's let the parents use them too." And I thought about it at the beginning of my doctorate, and I was like, "That's like powerful because mm-hmm. we can go from being." A community to a community of learners mm-hmm. and when i see community of learners that, includes, that means the parents. parents it's we're bringing up the whole community the whole standard of living is going to go up because now parents especially latino parents who never had access to the internet mm-hmm. before now have access to it because it's different having it on your phone than actually having a computer you can do things with mm-hmm. and um, i just wanted to see how that would work and i did find some interesting um interesting things um nothing too glaring but i think some of the anecdotal stuff i'll share with you that really just you know got to my heart was um you know i used to go to the dmv and i used to see you know a lot of these you know latino people sitting there for hours and hours and hours well now their kids are bringing home chromebooks what can they do they can make dmv appointments for the first time ever using the computer so now they can just show up go to their appointment and leave they're not there spending half their day anymore 
I had students telling me that their parents were able to do online banking for the first time ever, or just, you know, all these different stories, maybe even finding, um, and I always tell the students, well, make sure you're finding good information, but like medical information online or whatever they need or immigration information. Um, so, but there, but the power was opening up to parents in our area for the first time. And so my whole dissertation was about that. And I, and I'm glad I did it because um, I just think um, we have such a beautiful community. And I think the one thing our district has really done that was a benefit to our community was going one-to-one with the Chromebooks, but going further than that and the sending them home 365 days of the year so the kids and the parents can access them all the time. Mm-hmm. And right now, to tie that into what we're doing today, I know that um, our IT department is actually looking at doing um, – full um, internet coverage for the district. We're actually looking at um, developing our own broadband network so that anyone who goes to our district, student, parent, anyone who's tied to our district can get free internet for as long as they're part of our district. That's phenomenal. So we're working on that right now. And um, that's costing a lot of money, but it's something we are working on. And I just, I love what we do for our community because even though I know that I don't work like in the Family Engagement Center, even in IT, we are doing what we can to outreach to the community. And mm-hmm. I think that's important that all the departments should try to, you know, it, and sometimes people don't understand this when I say this, but I look at our parents and our students like customers. You've got to keep your customers mm-hmm. happy and you've got to meet their needs. And part of this is also design thinking. Mm-hmm. But if you're actually thinking about the needs of the people you serve, then doing things like creating a broadband network, Right. That's you're meeting their needs. Yeah. So I, I that's some of the things I love about our district. That's so I, in a roundabout way, I hope I've answered your oh, question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We're like you're actually just taking care of the whole entire yes. interview okay. here. Yeah. But one of the questions. So I know you're not in the classroom mm-hmm. um, anymore, but you are very much, as you've just explained, you are very much impacting our, our students and our community. Um, in in the technological world now, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? How how else, or what's the ultimate impact that you wish to make on our students, based on your role, or let's just say, even if you move on to a different role? Hey, that's a great question, and you know, I've actually been grappling a lot with in the last year, and and this is actually post getting my doctorate. I've had my doctorate now for almost two years, and. Um, I think since getting my doctorate, one of the number one things that I would love to impact students with and help enact change is actually working with teachers to realize that student engagement might come in different forms than they're used to. And I'm going to use the word, it's kind of some people don't like the word, like gamification, Mm -hmm. but our kids, they have so much screen time. They're so used to games if that's the hook, and I tell it's like catching a fish. You want to catch a fish, you got to put bait on that hook. So when somebody like John Carippo comes in and says, hey, let's do a gym kit or let's do a book kit. Or, and these are kind of like, if you don't know what these are, these are like kind of like gaming structures, but you can put content into, into them. Mm-hmm. So he actually will put in content. Like, what are we going to learn about? We're learning about volcanoes. Okay, let's do a book kit on volcanoes. And it's competitive. The kids get on there. It's kind of fun. They laugh. They have a good time. But he does it for like five minutes. It's like five minutes. And it's like, okay, now we're going to go into a Nearpod with the lesson on volcanoes. But he's developed some prior schema with them. But he's also developed some interest with them. They're like, hey, this is fun. I just had a fun time learning about volcanoes. Okay, let's learn more about volcanoes. Then they're ready to go to that deeper content from the, from the depth of knowledge one level to the second level, you know, because you've primed them for it. And I think that if there's one thing I could do is I would like to take as many teachers as I can and get them to realize student engagement is not a bad thing. Student engagement is really, you know, what we should be striving for. And it's not about getting up and, you know, some teachers I think are afraid. They're like, well, I'm not a good actor. I can't get up and just tap dance in front of my kids. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. But if you know how to use the technology Use the technology, leverage that to be your hook to drive the student engagement. And if you can do that, you'll find your teaching will go so much easier. Your kids will be so much happier. They'll be more productive. Attendance gets better. Behavior problems go down. It's just, it makes sense. And but so my biggest challenge in the last year or two has just really been trying to, and I think it's going to be my big challenge next year too, um, more so, is just getting teachers into student engagement because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why 
but a lot of them just either afraid of it or they don't see the need for it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, I'm up, I'm up there. They should be listening to me. It's like, no, we're no longer that sage on the stage. You got to be the guide at the side. And that student engagement is how you be that guide, you know, and it's that old school teaching style. Kids, kids don't want to listen to you anymore. Yeah. Got to hook them. A couple of thoughts on that. I remember, like, I've always liked to give my kids, like, little prices and candy. Mm -hmm. And, like, I know there's different trains of thoughts around that. But I remember teachers throughout my teaching journey that would be like, no, like, I do not need to be buying things. You know, I don't need to be buying my kids. And it's like, well, you're not you're not buying them. You're engaging them. You're giving them a little something in oh, return. The kids will die over yes. each other for a jolly rancher one penny yes. one penny jolly rancher yes <laughs> and and but there are those trains of thought where yeah. those people that think no like that's they should just for the grade they should just be paying attention for the grade and i understand that but i just think that's so old school and i look at some of our most successful teachers uh, and the ones that tend to be the most popular the most successful they usually have some kind of incentive for the mm -hmm. kids and it's got to be something real the kids want a, and right. in our community too getting back to latino the latino community usually wants a tangible um benefit of some kind okay i need something to work towards i don't want to just work towards a grade i don't know what a grade is that's abstract oh a jolly rancher oh i'll jump over 10 tables to get a jolly rancher they want something physical concrete and to me part of doing that is just meeting the needs of our population you know and understanding okay that's what these people have grown up on is something in hand is worth something then maybe you can lead them to understand oh there's a thing called a grade what's that about but you've got to have that hook again yeah it's almost i think you're onto something because my next question for you is i have to tell you i struggle so much with competition and so anytime like when you're talking about gamification i have seen it where it's not so tied to competition but there is something about you know the individualistic and the collectivist uh, yeah. societies and 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 how competition is not something that's for everyone and i could say that about my, myself mm -hmm. you know for for just just to speak on on my my own truth mm -hmm. um but what are your thoughts on that in 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 the sense of bringing gamification and how can we merge those two worlds where there may be some students that may be turned off by the competition you know, that's a great question, and, and, and one of the things I'll tell you, and I've seen this because I'm in classrooms with John Kirpo all the time, and I've seen this repeatedly over the last few months, but one of the things that I even told John Kirpo that he didn't realize was I said, you know, when we do the gamification, it's actually creating equity because, um, you know, depending on how the gamification is and what it is, but in something like a look at where it's very content-driven or like or math, doing like 99 math, something like that, which is gamification a little bit, but it's also, you know, you either know the math or you don't. It's creating equity because some of the voices that don't normally get heard get heard. So, um, you know, there tends to be, in, in any classroom, there tends to be those quiet kids that are smart, and people don't even know they're smart sometimes because they don't get a chance. You know, someone like the teacher will say, okay, who knows the answer to this? Oh, me, 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 me. And all the loud kids get to answer, and all the um, you know, boisterous kids get to participate, but the quiet kids that are a little bit more subdued don't always get to participate. But when you have them do something like a look it or a 99 math, and you're like, oh my gosh, the top score in the class is Marisol. And the kids are like, who's Marisol? Well, it's that quiet girl in the corner. Or that, you know, if it's Jose, the quiet boy in the corner, whatever. And it, and it allows those voices to be heard. So I think it creates... Um, some equity because you get to hear from kids or other kids that you normally don't get realize are, can be heroes in the class too are you see starting to see there's more equity being built up if that makes sense but mm -hmm. but not just that I'm a, I'm not into games either I'm not competitive at all my wife will tell you we we fight each other on Wordle and stuff and I like don't care mm -hmm. I beat her all the time and I like don't care and it makes her mad that I don't care but I'm not competitive I don't know what it is about me I'm just I'm like, hey, I don't care. I'm not competitive. And I think that with some of these structures, um, even if the kids aren't competitive, they just enjoy doing it. Like, oh, okay, you know, I'll do this thing. Because, like, usually there's, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But there's a little animation part to it or something where, like, maybe you're moving a character or doing something. So they think it's fun whether or not they win. They don't care. But it's still 
kind of hooking them, going back to like the volcanoes. If it's like, okay, look, I made the volcano erupt. This other kid did it first. He beat me, but you know, it was still kind of fun, you know? So I don't think the, from what I've seen, I've never seen a kid walk away from one of those situations unhappy. Mm. So to me, it's kind of, and, and you're seeing different voices emerge. So to me, it's a win-win so far. Mm. That's, that's good to know. I, um, those are great points that you make. I, I think I focus more on, you know, when Kahoot, let's just say Kahoot, and they have the top three winners and then everybody else. And there are some games where your name is the last one. And so I go to that. Like, I certainly do not. That one thing for me to process information, I'm not a quick processor of information. Like, that's always been me. You know, my brother is very much like you. He would come in on Fridays, take that test, and ace those tests, and not show up the rest of the day. That's so funny that you say that because that was very much him. For me, I need to work hard for what I need, for what I want, and I need to really process information. And so those games, like when we've done those games, even as an adult, I'm like, ah, I can't even answer. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I just won't even have the 30 seconds or whatever they give us. I can't even, you know? That might just be my adult brain. But you know what's, you know? You know what's cool? Some of the games, too, don't list everybody so right. some of them just list like the here are the top three and that's it and you can't see what anyone else did so yes. it's like if you're in a class of like 40 kids top three then you don't feel so bad you're like okay i wasn't one of the top three maybe i was number four you yeah. don't know you don't right. know yeah. nobody right. knows well and that's when choice comes into play too so mm -hmm. there's all kinds of ed tech tools that you can mm -hmm. use so yeah. even if they're not like on this comp competitive game they can still show mm -hmm. mastery in another way you mm -hmm. know with mm -hmm. choice you know and, yeah. and technology totally like like john Kripo's thin slides you know every kid ha can put their own personal spin on it their own personal design yeah. yeah i love that we're having this conversation there's no i don't believe there's a right or wrong answer but i've always always struggled with because i very much believe that it's important and it's a great way to engage students you know to bring in the gamification but it's an internal struggle that this is how i feel i wonder how many kids feel this way or not you know we don't know but it's just a wonderful thing that we can engage in this conversation and think about these yeah. things for our students you know and i, th I think we just need to get past the uh, you know gamification just because it has the word game in it mm -hmm. We need to get past the idea that games aren't learning experiences because mm -hmm. they are. Oh, and for I, sure. And a lot of teachers, I, th I I feel this way, and I know I'm not trying to put teachers under the bus, but I feel there are teachers out there who they just hear gamification. Oh, it's games. I don't have time to play games with my kids. I got too much learning to mm -hmm. do. But if you can use that as the hook to get them stimulated, they will be more productive for you. Mm -hmm. and that's my mantra well, for them. And do you mm -hmm. find, Greg, and I'm going back to being that lifelong learner and you're wondering like, I don't know why some teachers just don't, you know, aren't wanting to incorporate this, but do you feel that it's because technology is just constantly changing? And as teachers, we always like to go to what's comfortable, right? And and it's like, well, one year something is, what what is it? Um, Gim kit and you know, give me some other names of oh, some nine, of the nine, nine math, look at like all these, and then quizzes. right, and then yeah. next year it's going to be something different. So, do you ever hear or how do you deal with those teachers who are like, oh my gosh, well I just learned this, now this is old, and now the next year or a couple months later, okay, there's something else mm -hmm. here. Do you do you feel like you lose some teacher sometimes? Yeah, no, that's that it's a. A very valid, great point. I mean, I think, um, especially in education, you hear teachers saying things like, oh, we have to do it this way this year, but you know it's going to be completely different yeah. next year. Yeah, else is coming down the road. So yeah. sometimes they don't want to buy mm -hmm. into something. Cause, mm -hmm. And I've run into that. I've run into teachers like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do quizzes. I know it'll be something different next year. And I'm like, okay, but you got to start somewhere. If you start with the, the quizzes, then if it does change, at least you kind of already know how what to expect. So, like, when you do, like, a look at it's like, okay, I already kind of know how this works. And mm -hmm. everything kind of builds and builds and builds. You know, I remember, you know, the first time I got, ever got a Roku for my TV, you know, I didn't, there was things about it I didn't know how to do. And now we've updated and got a new Roku. And every time I'm learning something new, and it goes back to being that lifelong learner, is mm -hmm. I think some teachers want what's comfy and easy. And I get that. 
you know, I still play vinyl records. I'm not I'm not really good at making MP3s or anything. <laughs> I'd rather not. You know, I'd rather just put on a record or even a CD if people remember what those are. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, but sometimes you have to break yourself out of that comfort level. And, again, I think it goes back to... Am, am I in the classroom for, for me, me? Yes. or am I there for the people Absolutely. I serve? And if mm-hmm. I'm serving the students, I need to try to meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And so if I have to get out of my comfort zone to learn the newest book it or whatever, okay, let's do it. I might not be a fan, but show me, let's do it. And I love that kind of attitude because if I have a teacher that's at least willing, yes. I can help move them to a point where they're happy and doing well and productive. But if I get teachers just like, nope, don't yeah. want it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, there's a great story. I had one teacher, this is going back years ago when we first got hover cams. I mean, when we first got them and nobody had really had them yet. I had a teacher who was retiring in a year. And she's like, don't bring me any more technology. I don't want any technology. I'm out of here in a year, blah, 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 blah. And I told her, I said, just try this. Here, I'll set it up for you. I'll even show you some basic things you can do with it. Just try it for a day. If you don't like it by the end of the day, I'll come take it out. And um, I, she said, fine. You know, she rolled her eyes, and I, I, plugged, I plugged it in, and I left it for her. And I kept, I kind of checked on her throughout the day. Hey, how's it working? Have you tried it? Yeah, yeah, I've tried it. Whatever, Greg, go away. And by the end of the day, she finally calls me up and says, oh, my God, this is the most fantastic tool I've ever had doing math. I wish I had this 10 years ago. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please don't take it away. I want it. But it took her getting a little bit out of her comfort zone mm-hmm. to just try it. Mm-hmm. So even though she was only there for another year, she she enjoyed that yeah. last year, for and sure. it helped make her day so much easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember the hover cam days. Oh my goodness, that's Life what changer. I love about. Yeah, I love teaching because of that reason. Because things yeah. are constantly changing, and there's always something new to learn. And then, you know, we we're in a district where you know our administrators and our, all the school sites they're so open to just trial and error. You know what? I learned this yesterday. I'm just going to try it today, and it's just. It's welcome and it's and it's fun because you know the students are so much more engaged yeah. and you just capture their attention. And, and I would like to go on record as saying that I believe our district, um, we really are a very uh, dynamic, transformative district in a lot of ways. And I believe that most of our teachers, I would, I don't want to put a percentage on, but I would say it would be over ninety percent of our teachers. Let's say. Um, definitely are not afraid to try new things. I think from our superintendent down, we've always made that point hey go ahead and try new things take a calculated risk we don't mind calculated risk it's okay to fail forward Mm -hmm. you know mike says this our superintendent um i i say push this all the time i i believe in that um and and i and i believe most of our administrators are good with that too that you know they're willing to let teachers take a chance you Mm -hmm. know and I think there are some teachers out there, though, that a small percentage are still afraid, well, if my administrator comes in and sees me doing that, I could get in trouble. trouble. No, yeah. no, you mm-hmm. have an administrator that will say, no, please try the book, look it, whatever, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Please try it, and mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, we'll do something different. Mm-hmm. But, um, And I, I love that we try to throw out that message as much as possible. So it's a very small percentage that either aren't hearing that message or, or are afraid to try it still, but it's small. Most mm-hmm. of our teachers, I think, are willing to try something new. Yeah, no, we're a very innovative district. Yeah. Very, I feel very proud and honored, definitely, to work here where we're allowed to try so much. Mm-hmm. It's a constant struggle, though, because, mm-hmm. um, and again, I, I don't like to throw teachers under the bus, but with our, uh, we've had a huge influx of new teachers, mm-hmm. and they're coming from a lot of different teaching programs, and some of the teaching programs they come from are more conservative, traditional, old school so we've had new teachers that have been like afraid to embrace like some of our new ways of doing things, and it's like we've had to tell them, no, it's okay to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, yeah, I don't want to say anyone in particular, but you know, the, I mean, there was a couple of teachers that you know really had to be talked to, like, hey, we, we don't mind you doing these gamification things with the kids. Please try them. We'll That's help you fascinating to hear. Like, Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, you're not going to get in trouble. It's okay. Yeah. Even the principals, then we'll have to bring principal in. The principals, yeah, try it. Go mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> it's okay to and be then, a rebel. It is. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's that mindset that mm-hmm. we, and our district has that transformative mindset, but we get so many new, we've had so many new teachers coming in that it's like we got to remember, oh, we get it, but we need to remember to kind of indoctrinate mm-hmm. the new teachers too. That's so interesting. That yeah. is, I mean, you'd think, fresh blood and young people and we're just in this you know 
well, century the, where everything is so innovative. Think. You think, yes. It's, <laughs> it's, I, I don't want to blame the teaching programs because they're all different, but I think there are some that just, again, they have older master teachers who are still trying to teach the young teachers the way they taught 30 mm. years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like they haven't yeah. brought that piece in. Mm. Well, they're lucky to be here where they can try <laughs> Well, my friend, what a wonderful conversation. Let's go ahead and end this conversation by asking you, Dr. McCorder, what is your message to the world? Oh, gosh, I think I've, I've answered that enough. I mean, my message to the world is, I guess, just uh, really try to embrace being a lifelong learner and don't be afraid to try new things. Um, you know, but again, calculated risk. You don't want to try something that you know is wrong or bad, but you... Um, Definitely, if it looks like something that can improve your life or improve the people you serve, um, then take that risk and see if you know if you can do it. And uh, don't be afraid to be a lifelong learner. I mean, life to me is more exciting and enjoyable uh, the more you, you get out there and travel. You get a different perspective of the world and realize, you know, there's a lot of different people in the world with a lot of different thinking, and we don't all think alike, mm-hmm. and we shouldn't think alike. And I think. I think sometimes we get a little bit too um, endemic in our thinking. And some, um, please try to be a learner. Tr- and by doing that, I, traveling is great. Learning about other cultures, learning about you know just the way other people live, the way they think. You know, all that is so important. It'll make you more of a well-rounded person and probably help you to better serve the needs of those you serve so with that i would like to say thank you and um, i hope everyone has a a fantastic end of the school year and hopefully next year will be just um you know i'm trying to think of like a like a quote like you know (laughs) up and away like bigger and better you know (laughs) thriving more than ever thriving more than ever well thank you so very much dr mccorder it was a great conversation loads and loads of great wisdom that you've given us and so we appreciate you for that Thank you. Thank you. you. And a huge thank you to all of our listeners for opening your hearts and your minds to our Mindful Conversations Matter podcast. We challenge you to continue these conversations with your family and friends. And please reflect on ways you can impact the world one conversation and one act at a time. Until next time. Peace. Peace.